Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is Tony Stubblebine and he is the founder of a really interesting uh, service software tool, it can be a lot of things, uh, called Lyft. And so I'm just going to bring him right in today and we're going to talk about this thing called Lyft. So Tony, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much for having me. So uh, just give us the 30-second version. What is Lyft all about? So Lyft is a self-improvement company. What we've built is a series of tools for helping people achieve any goal. And by any goal, what we mean is we're right now supporting more than 100,000 different goals, really spanning the full gamut from health to fitness to productivity, even relationship and career. Uh, and we do that through like basically what we're trying to take is the cutting edge of behavior design and coaching and just package that up into something that can live in your phone so we're available on the iPhone right now and on Wednesday we'll we're launching for Android too and and so these plans isn't that is that the right word plans is yeah is plans what is a good word okay yeah. that that, uh, that people have now who who builds these yeah, so these plans, the 100,000 goals are supported by what we would call a coaching plan. Sort of step by step, each day, here's what you, what you work on. And it, these plans are coming, they're coming from experts, they're coming from us, they're coming from the community. Uh, that, um, you know, the experts include people like probably David Allen, who's a, a top uh, productivity guy, probably a lot of your, your yeah. listeners yeah. have read, and then... Uh, Tim Ferriss, who's also a, both a top productivity guy and a top uh, health guy, and then um, for for us, you know, we did a lot of early research into kind of the habit of building habits, and so when it comes to things that are more habitual, like um, let, let's say, what's a good habit? It's like drinking you know, more water, to, drink more water, <laughs> get to the gym, right? Yeah. That uh, like so we've built up the coaching plans for those, and then. Um, and then, you know, one thing that's really interesting as we've gotten into this is that actually everyone is an expert at something. Everyone has advice that they can share. And I, I always like when um, someone in the Lyft community creates a plan to share some, some little bit of expertise that, they, uh, that they've, you know, just mastered. Because a lot of times the people that have just been through it actually know the struggle a lot more closely than, you know, a coach who might have you know, might be 10 or more years removed from what it's like to be a beginner. Well, that's interesting. So, so break down the, um, uh, before we get into some of the specific ones, uh, how does a, how does a plan lay out or how does somebody access it or what do they do with it? Well, you know, you, you can get started with Lyft pretty, in a pretty straightforward way, just by going to our website, lyft.do. And there's a directory of plans there. And when you find one that you like, you join it. And most people actually are joining five to eight, you know, one or two that are pretty difficult and then more uh, kind of simple, basic, uh, habitual ones, which tend to be easier for people. And then you get an app where every day you see what it, you know, what it is you should be working on uh, today. And I'll just say, for me, I want to I'm supposed to swim today, which is my main form of exercise. I'm supposed to uh, avoid sweets. I'm on a big no sugar kick right now. And uh, and then I have a couple of productivity ones in there too. And uh, so that's what I'm looking at today. And when I when I 
And so the big part of it is just getting prompting so you don't have to think about what it is you're doing. And then the, the rest of it is getting support from the community. So if I have a question, almost definitely someone else in the community has answered that question before. And uh, also, I have a, um, a pretty nice group of friends on left who, who cheer me on and we like we're constantly trying to uh, one up each other and just like push each other to be better, better versions of ourselves. Well, and so is there a social aspect? So in other words, can I have 10 of my friends on Facebook uh, follow me and then they're going to see my scorekeeping, so to speak, that, uh, that I you know, made my goal today? Absolutely. And you know, there's actually really great science behind that. I know like right now every app is trying to be social. It's like very, very much uh, uh, part of the culture of current startups. But yep. for us, you know, when we looked at what happens in real world coaching, a lot of times the most effective coaching and behavior change is actually this mix of an expert giving you the theory and a group of people going through the exact same uh, plan. Uh, and they're there because to answer all of the little questions and to inspire you to show you that, hey, this is possible. It's not just this guru claiming it's possible. You can see that your friends are succeeding as well. So go ahead. Oh, example, I was just going to say, I think yeah, there's, I, I think there's a, a lot of science. Even before we talked about things like Twitter and Facebook, there's a lot of science around that idea of making a commitment by telling people uh, that, they, you know, I am going to lose 20 pounds, right? And so all of a sudden it's like, hey, I got people that I told I was going to do this. I guess I kind of have to. Right. I mean, people are complicated. And so there's something, there's some angle that works for every person. There's probably 20 different angles that you could, that we see regularly where that mm -hmm. are positive effects of doing it in a social way. And so, you know, some of those work for, that's enough angles that there's always something that's working for, you know, basically everyone in Lyft. Yeah, and, and I'm sure we all know examples of people that tried to do, tried to change some behavior or break some habit, and for years, and then all of a sudden, you know, the 27th time they tried to, something clicked. Yeah, it it is, you know, it is possible, but it's not simple, and that's the, you know, like the good news. I always say the good news is that it is possible to change. The bad news is you're gonna have to get off the couch and actually put some work into it. Yeah. But, you know, this is to, the, the reason that I started Lyft and the reason that the people who joined at the beginning, my co-founders, the thing we were most excited about is that we were looking at other successful people and every time you got their backstory, it would turn out that they had done an incredible amount of prior work. Sure. So, you know, there's this myth of the overnight success, but one of my investors has a phrase I like. He says, you know, it took me 10 years to become an overnight success. Sure. And that, I mean, that's just the truth of it. Yeah. And, you know, I noticed a lot of the plans also, one of the things that I think um, is probably a lot of science behind this too, but a lot of times when somebody says, by gosh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to write a book. And so, uh, you know, they, in the next 30 days, I'm going to write this book. And so it turns into, you know, day one, they're staring at it going, that means I have to write 8,000 words today or something, right? And I've never written right. in my life. And I noticed that a lot of the plans start with, hey, if you want to get to where you can do 50 push-ups, you know, just do one uh, today. <laughs> you know, come back tomorrow and you're going to do two maybe instead of just, you know, immediately jumping into this thing and, and, and kind of burning yourself out. 
Well, there's a whole branch of psychology which calls itself positive psychology, and sort of the flip side for a long time, psychology was just like, what's wrong with you, right? And you know, how can we treat it? And so, positive psychology is looking at, you know, people that are succeeding. What's right with them, and how can we replicate that? And in that branch, there's a lot of interest in what we would call momentum techniques. And so, what you say there, like, you know, if you want to do 50 push-ups, start with one. Right, that like that gets you unblocked. That deals with procrastination. Right, it deals with um, kind of the there's this huge um, amount of power just in making something habitual and routine. Right, that mm-hmm. it's the like that's eighty ninety percent of it. And so if you say to someone, "Hey, I need you to do one push up today," you're going to like that's doable. If if you say to someone, "I'm going to need you to do fifty push ups today," and then another fifty tomorrow. Like that's almost overwhelmingly, you know, it's too overwhelming for your average person. Yeah. So the, this momentum stuff is, you know, it allows you to get going. It it gives space for positive reinforcement, and then things become habitual, and then you actually have a chance of you know putting in the the weeks or months that it takes to make a you know a huge change in your life. And you know, honestly, that's what most of us are looking for is we want to be more successful. And if you ask yourself, you know, like if you imagine where you're going, like to be a CEO or to be, you know, to get your next raise or to get, be a, um, uh, you know, like a, run a successful business. I mean, most of us are thinking about these goals that are one or two years out. And so this idea of putting in a couple of weeks of work, you know, really actually makes a lot of sense. Are there, um, People that come back, I know you have a community that come back and they make comments or whatnot, but do you have, uh, have you started collecting now uh, success stories of people saying, hey, I did this and, and here's everything it meant and now I'm going to go on and do these other three? Um, we do have just hundreds and hundreds of success stories that we have collected, but the thing we're most excited to collect actually is research. The, uh, so I have a tiny example um, is a year ago, we did research with Tim Ferriss and his book, The 4-Hour Body. And uh, we sent 3,500 people through his 40, his 4-Hour Body Diet hmm. and then published our findings on it. And so over a four-week period, 86% of people lost weight. The average weight loss was 8.5 pounds. Things that correlated with weight loss were if people were really aggressive about getting... Uh, getting a lot of eggs in the, into their breakfast. It just seemed to make it easier for everyone's um, day. And things that correlated with not really having any effect were uh, part of the advice was to take a cold shower every day. Right. And it turned out that it didn't actually matter that much. And so that's like that's a very small kind of niche piece of research that we did. But we're actually getting ready to do this again in a much bigger scale come January 1st. We have... 14 diet plans just along the same line as the four-hour body, but covering all the popular uh, diet approaches. And then we're working with Berkeley to the UC Berkeley, the, the University of Berkeley, to analyze and publish these findings. And I think it's going to be the, the biggest diet study ever done and probably the first time we've been able to get actual comparative data on all of this advice that we've been, you know, getting for years. So, um, so that to me, there's a lot of success stories that will come out of that. 
um, and just a lot of advice and hopefully some real inspiration. Um, so that, I mean, that's the thing that I'm thinking about today a lot. Uh, yeah, but I'm curious, like, so we've been talking about, you know, there's a lot of things to talk about. I'm curious, I just want to make sure we, we tie this back to, to what it takes to actually be a great marketer. Right. Well, yeah, you got a lot of habits to break uh, if you want to be right. a great marketer. No. <laughs> well, yeah. So, so, um, so ha- I, I know inside of the plans you actually have uh, some things that they, they don't say marketing necessarily on them, but they're uh, activities or, or habits that are certainly related to successful marketing. I know there's seems to be a fair amount on productivity and a fair amount on writing. Um, uh, writing more, writing more effectively. Um, so, uh, you know, what, so, so where, where were you headed with that in terms of, of applying it back to marketing? Well, you know, I like, I mean, one, I just always like to get other people's takes, you know, what is the habits, what are the habits of an effective marketer? You know, one category you didn't mention in that list is there's, um, there's a, a series on how introverts can be more mm-hmm. extroverted. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's this sort of, which I think of as a skill set for people who wouldn't consider themselves natural marketers, but then find themselves in, in that role. I definitely, I, find, I think of myself in that boat. You know, I'd started a company before this one and I'd bootstrapped it. So we did, had no investors. I just had to find customers for it right away. And I'd spent my whole career up until that point you know, in this sort of protected cocoon as a programmer. And then suddenly as I'm out doing sales calls and trying to pitch people and, you know, man, like that is a big switch. Yeah. And being able to train myself to, um, to be more extroverted essentially, uh, you know, is what allowed that, you know, that company to, to succeed. Um, well, I, I, to tell you the truth, many I'll tell you the biggest challenge that I hear all the time when I go out there and speak to, to – it's not that – well, in some cases, it's they don't have the confidence to feel like they're good marketers. Uh, of course, is right after they get telling me that they just built their business to $10 million, but they don't know how to do marketing. But right. the, the, the biggest challenge, quite frankly, is, is – uh, resource allocation, their time, and 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 you know spending the you know I always tell people marketing is a habit uh, that you know if you're if you're going to grow an organization and marketing is going to be a huge part of that uh, then you have to actually treat it like it's an important part by you know by by doing it every day um, and so I mean I think even just from a um, a focus standpoint, uh, even if you could use a plan like this to get people in the habit of actually doing some marketing related activity every single day, it's, it's kind of like doing pushups. Exactly. The, you know, when we look at productivity, there's almost like these, uh, levels. So you know, the first level is people just want to get more work done. Yeah. And that's like how many to-do lists do I, you know, like I make a to-do list and do I follow it, right? right? But the actual, the the most successful people in productivity focus on getting the right things done, yep. right? So there's a, you know, there's like a one, three, five method. What's the most important thing? What are the three next most important things? What are the five, you know, kind of smaller but still important things? And you just, you work through it. You make sure you get your top thing done and then you're, your next three and then your next five and the um, or you know a big habit and lift is set priorities for the day yeah. and that's one for a long time I just you know I'd sat down and I started doing whatever work and I was happy if I got a lot of it done rather than you know getting distracted but you know honestly 
you know, I think this is true in marketing and almost all entrepreneurship is that there's a couple of things that end up mattering a lot. And then a lot of other kind of searching for those things. And so if you're not aware, if it's not built into your routine, not built into your kind of your habits of business, then you're going to end up doing a lot of work that doesn't matter rather than noticing and jumping on those those things that do. Well, and, and the work that doesn't matter quite often is, is stuff that, that nags you the most, that's the loudest, <laughs> you know, that seems important. And, um, you know, as, as cliche as it is, that, that whole 80-20 thing, you know, it just is absolutely true. Um, and and I, I would say even even though I feel like I'm pretty good at creating priorities and staying focused, I, I, I know that uh, about an hour a day <laughs> is where I make all my money. Um, right. and, and the rest of it, as you said, sometimes is, is kind of uh, chasing your tail. Um, I, I tell you, I um, one habit that I adopted uh, years ago, I came across, and I think it was a book, but uh, it was online, something called the Pomodoro Method. Yeah. Have you run across that one? And there are tons of variations. In fact, I see there's a, uh, there's a plan on your site that, that uses this, and um, it has made me so much more productive, um, probably healthier too in some ways, uh, because I, so I spend about 45 minutes you know, in an hour time block, and I block out my 45-minute time blocks pretty much all day um, on the work that I want to get done, and it's not so much a to-do list. And Some, some days it is, but a lot of times it's, it's blocks of work, so I have focused attention, but then I take 15 minutes each hour, and I'll you know, walk the dog. Uh, I'll, uh, you know, so we've got a kettlebell sitting here. I'll, you know, I'll swing that thing around. Um, right. So, uh, and, and, that, and that kind of, it's almost like, it, it gets me in this mindset to say, I can do anything for 45 minutes. So if, even if it's something I don't really want to do, <laughs> that I don't think of as fun, I, I, you know, it kind of gives you that, I can do anything for 45 minutes. I love that. You know, there is definitely at least one uh, Pomodoro-based plan in Lyft. And it does this funny thing. It actually is really focused on uh, how you use your time off, your downtime. Yeah. So it's based around a 25 and 5. Yeah. So... And you know when I was when I was looking at that plan, I was really I was thinking through the 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 coaching aspect of it, and I think it actually it attacks the exact problem I would have doing with this method is that I would work for twenty five minutes, and then I would spend five minutes wishing I could go back to work. <laughs> so it's actually I need to be at the beginning. I need to be really coached to just love those five minutes of yeah. downtime, yeah. and uh, that's what the plan is about. And I think that's actually a really smart. Uh, reframing of it, um, at least for people like me. Yeah. So there, there have been a couple pretty good books out uh, on on habits. I'm I'm sure you're familiar with Charles. Yeah. Durant's, Power of Habit. Uh, Power of Habit, and he um, mentions. In fact, there are two quotes. One one of my favorite quotes is that, um, uh, and I can't remember if this was associated to somebody else. So Charles, apologize. But uh, um, drug dealers, or drug addicts, and multimillionaires. You know, both have habits, um, but they, you know, they're just different habits. <laughs> and so, you know, I think that that's, uh, you know, the point of that being that, that I think we all are just kind of a collection of our habits. And so, you know, the question then just becomes, you know, being able to identify better habits um, and and going to work on replacing um, the the maybe not so positive habits with better habits. Yeah, you know, I. I like that comparison because there's usually some moral judgment that uh, you know the, the drug addict is kind of living this lazy life and yeah they're addicted and sick but it's also there's some laziness in it and the multi millionaire is 
uh, you know, very focused and, you know, sort of inherently productive. And it's actually, it's, you know, much easier to think of it just in terms of what habits uh, they have and also what, um, uh, what drains they have on their own uh, cognitive stamina. So this is a, a concept, uh, it's a little sciencey, but I think it'll make sense to everyone. There was, about two years ago, there was a really great article in the New York Times about decision fatigue. It's basically mm-hmm. looking at the science of how every tiny decision you make ends up draining your kind of uh, bank of decisions that you're able to make in a day. So even if something as simple as you know, trying to decide what pair of socks to wear, like that is a decision. If you had to make a thousand sock decisions before you got to work, you would be drained and you would have no ability to uh, then make decisions at work. And so the, I think what the power of habit a lot of times for successful people is making sure that they have conserved enough of their cognitive stamina that they can be effective when they get to work. And a, a really good, well-known example of this is uh, Steve Jobs used to have this um, kind of uniform theory, which is he wore the same clothes to work every day at the end of his mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. Is this black turtleneck, right? And so if you think about that in terms of co- preserving his own cognitive stamina, it's he when he woke up, he had no decisions to make when it came to getting dressed. He just picked the black turtleneck off of the pile of black turtlenecks and you know, put on his same pair of jeans and walked out the door. Whereas today, I'm just thinking about my own life. Like I, you know, I, I know I like I have a set of shirts for work. I have a set of pants for work. But I did have to make a decision about socks. And you know, there's a couple of decisions in the morning. And so when I'm leaving work, I'm already five decisions behind. Uh, behind Steve Jobs. And so when people ask me, you know, what is the habit of an effective leader? What is the habit of an effective marketer, of an effective entrepreneur? Like my answer is any habit because you're like, con- like the kind of the definition of an entrepreneur or leader in, you know, a marketing leader is that they, they are overworked, overstressed, you know, constantly having to make decisions without enough information and like anything you can do to preserve your own cognitive ability in those moments, that makes you more effective. And I find that actually really encouraging because, you know, there's like, because now the, the world is open. There's so much you can do to improve your life just by making your life simpler. You know, and it's interesting, um, as I hear you talk about that, I, I think one of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs suffer from is a high degree of stress. And, you know, talk about... Uh, something that causes decision fatigue. Um, and, and it's not stress in the same way as a lot of people, I think, think about it. Um, it's not, I mean, in some cases, maybe they've risked a lot of money or, or you know, they've, they've got, you know, some legitimate stresses that, that are pretty common. But a lot of times that stress comes about, like, I, I, I you know, I suffer from high blood pressure and, and have, you know, have stress in my life, but it's, there's nothing stressful about my job in, in the least, except that what you just mentioned, I make constantly in making decisions all day long. And I think that that's a, that's a part that a lot of entrepreneurs probably miss as, as to why, you know, this is so physic such a physically, you know, challenging way to go to work, even if you're doing something you truly love. Yeah, it is challenging. And th- I mean, this is, this is part of it, I think, is just recognizing that it's not 
purely a matter of willing yourself through it. You actually can, you have a lot of control over um, making your life easier. Really, I think I think we're all so ambitious that maybe that phrase, making your life easier, doesn't even appeal. It's more, um, you know, getting, getting your resources. It's like an application of your mental resources. There's certain things you want you want to have those resources ready for. Yeah, and I, I thought it was ironic that you mentioned at the top of the show that that'll, that you know most people are doing four or five of these uh, plans <laughs> at, uh, at at any given time, and and because I, I think that's one of the challenges too is a lot of times people think I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna embark on this you know new way of you know it's kind of like the the new year. Um, uh, approach and and so they you know try to change twenty seven things about their life and and uh, again I would suggest the science probably suggests you know one one at a time is is probably a more effective approach. But this is where we end up really being tied to a sense of momentum is we actually looked at what is the right number and we have people with thirty and above and we have people with you know just one or two or three and what kind of the sweet spot seemed to be eight. And it wasn't that people were perfect on all eight. It was more that if you had that many, you always had something you were making progress on. Hmm. And it was like that, like kind of that, that having that one thing that you were succeeding at kind of created a, I would say like a, a, a switch, just this confidence that, oh, hey, I am able to change. And then as you change that one thing, you're still in contact with all of your other goals and you start to master one thing and then switch over to the other things. Yeah, yeah and I guess it keeps it, it keeps the whole process of change of behavior kind of more top of mind too. Yeah, there's definitely a mindfulness component of it. And to me that when we looked at starting this company, the you know, one of the things we noticed is that the people that were very focused on just one change, they all had the exact same usage pattern, which is someone would, you know, try to use it you know, hit some sort of a, a speed bump and then disappear and have no reason to come mm. back. And so this, this to me is actually a little bit more uh, resilient for people is that it allows for them to, you know, have a little bumps in the road. And, you know, like, you know what a bump in the road is? It's, it's vacation or it's a yeah, launch week right, or right, right. Uh, it's having a baby, right? Like everyone has something that come, comes up. Yeah, I have a. Uh, uh, I've worked with a personal trainer for a while, and I don't know that he can claim that this was his. Uh, <laughs> there's probably other people that that prescribed to this, but his his point of view is always, you know, what happens is people get that bump in the road. You know, you have a really, you go out and you eat and you drink and you do a bunch of stuff you're not not supposed to do. He said, just don't do it tomorrow. You know, <laughs> fine, forget about it. <laughs> you know, just start over again. Just you know, to, to get back on. You know, get back immediately. You know, on pat on the course. You know, and and you know, forget about it. And I think that's but pretty good advice. One of my investors and I are kind of obsessed with this book, Anti Fragile. Did Did you happen I, to read this book? I, I'm not familiar with that one. It, it's basically this look at what are things that get better over time and are sort of inherently. Uh, improved by time and chaos. So something is the what is the opposite of fragility essentially? And you know one of the things that you can look at when it comes to your own uh, habits and behavior is that a failure is actually a really um, great opportunity to make your habit anti-fragile, right? It's like if if you live an easy life and your habit is based on succeeding during that easy life, 
it, what it means is it's actually fragile. The, the first time any chaos is yeah. inserted into your life, it is going to go away. And that skill of restarting it, that's actually a skill and it's a skill worth building. And so, you know, every time you stumble, that is an opportunity to strengthen the part of, of the habit, which is, you know, restarting it. So, you know, so that means you're going to have something that's strong when you go on vacation, when you switch jobs, when you, uh, when you move, when, you know, you have new family members and living with you, right? Like all of these are changes in your life that are generally disruptive. And if you don't know how to deal with disruption, then what you are actually are is building in, a, you know, fragility. And that's, I mean, that's just not life. Life is chaotic. <laughs> you know, that, that is really funny, though. That you, you talked about the Steve Jobs thing. Um, you know, imagine, uh, well, on, on one hand, he's really got that handled, right? I know what I'm going to wear. Imagine he wakes up one day and there are no shirts, no black shirts left, right? I mean, uh, talk about, you know, throwing throwing somebody a curveball now, you know? The, yeah. The, and that really is so, it's as silly as that sounds, you know, that that is one of the biggest challenges is you, you routinize these habits and to the point where if something's just a little off, all of a sudden it, it really knocks you off course. I wonder what he would have done. I mean, clear, I mean, clearly we know he would have yelled at someone. Yeah, right, right. That's funny. All right, so final question. Um, this is fascinating stuff. Final question. Uh, you, you already mentioned it's lift.do, so like lift.do. Um, what has historically been the most popular plan? You know, for a long time it was exercise, and we just, like, we just noticed drink more water. So a lot of the most common popular plans are, are, were habitual just because we started with uh, habits. Yeah. So like that historically, it was people wanted to exercise more and then we've seen this drink more water one creep up, creep up and it's just getting ready to pass and be uh, the number one. What I like about drink more water is that there's a couple of good effects in it. One, it's one of the easiest habits that just generally we see a really high uh, adoption or high success rate in it. But the other is um, a lot of times it functions as this great replacement habit. So for example, if people, um, if you're trying to not drink soda, rather than just will yourself, I'm not going to pick up that soda, I'm not going to pick up that soda, instead you give yourself a different activity to do. That's the kind of the theory of a replacement habit. Mm -hmm. So it's you know, so you say to yourself, when I go out to eat, I'm going to order water, you know, or when I sit down at my desk, I'm going to get a water. And then that, you know, then it's a lot easier not to drink the soda. And then just like what we've seen more recently as we've put in the more detailed coaching plans, the most popular one is uh, 10 Steps to Happiness. And it's a, a series of small exercises to improve your happiness, which is, uh, you know, definitely uh, fits in for those of us who are we're stressed by all of the decisions we're having to make as leaders. And here I thought it was going to be how to get in the habit of making your bed. <laughs> although, so, although I did note that that was an unusually popular one. It was, it was popular, and I actually I just saw data on it. We were looking at which ones are have the highest success rates, and that one popped out as um, yeah, just a, like a really high number of people make it to seven, you know, seven day streak on that, on that plan. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> well, Tony, thanks so much for joining me. This really fascinating. I, I encourage everybody just go take a look at uh, lift.do. I know you're getting, you mentioned this, uh, this, uh, 
UC Berkeley study, which is uh, really going to bring, I suppose, a lot of uh, attention to what you're doing there. I know you've also been on Oprah and or, or in the Oprah magazine had it had uh, your work mentioned. Uh, so uh, really, really great tool in a necessary area. Well, John, thank you so much for having me.